this is a, a special week. I always think it's interesting. Um, there might be many online, but in the room, it's a little bit lighter, I say, than normal. And I always think it's interesting because it's the opposite of what we see during uh, the life of Christ. This week, Palm Sunday, was a big, huge gathering of people. In America, Palm Sunday is a lower Sunday, and then Easter is the big Sunday. But it's flipped in the Bible. It's flipped. It's quiet. It's the empty tomb, but no one's there. But yet, this week before, everyone is there, and they're amazed at this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? We've been answering to answer that question in our study in the book of Mark. Who is Jesus? Who is this one who comes in such unique ways. He comes in really remarkable, but actually not very, uh, there's nothing uh, lavish about it. There's no grandeur. There's no, we think of that at Christmas, the Christmas season each year. We look at and reminded of the humility of Christ, that he was born among poverty, born in a, a, a stable filled with hay. Just he being born with his mother and Joseph there and a bunch of animals gathered around and then shepherds, lowly shepherds come. I mean, it's just so meek and mild. And I can't help but think about how we are fascinated with entrances. I know most of you probably are not, maybe not into boxing and MMA and all these things, but if you ever watch a boxing match or you watch something like this, there is all about these entrances. I mean, they have, they're, they've got these fancy robes. They've got, it's a big light show. It's this marvel of an entrance. And here comes the great, whoever that boxer is at the time, who's the, the, def- the champion who's going to d- defend his, his right to be the best of the best, the pound-per-pound fighter in the world. And so here he comes and he enters into this ring. And so he enters with much fanfare. The fans are going crazy. They're wild. They're cheering. Or if they're the opponent, they're booing him. And they're, but there, it's this gathering of people and they're watching as this person walks in. I think of college football. College football is all about their entrances as well. They have certain songs and certain themes that they're playing as they enter into. I can't help but think of Clemson. And as they take their bus ride around from their, from, their, um, from their locker rooms, and they take the ride to the stadium, and if they pull up right at the top of this hill, and they come flying down the hill, you're like, guys, this is very much a proper opportunity to be injured. But they come flying down the hill. Here comes Dabo Sweeney running down the hill as fast as he can, and the rest of his team following behind him as they enter into the stadium to take on and to defend their home field. On May 6th of this year, we're going to have a, a coronation to me, this grand coronation as King Charles is officially instituted as the King of England after his mother passed away earlier this past year. And it will be great. It will be, there, will be no, there, will be, there will be plenty of waste of money. There will be plenty of money put into this entrance as this, this king who has no authority will enter in and he'll ride in these fancy things. If you think of our president, they're going to ride. They don't come in little chariots. They don't come in, they come in this beast, I think they call it, this Cadillac that's like fully armored vehicle as he rides around and comes in. I think of when the president is introduced for the State of Union address, someone steps up in front of the crowd that's gathered, all the Congress is gathered, and they say, and they proclaim, you know, Madam or, or, or uh, Mr. Speaker, the President of the United States, and everyone, ah, they cheer or they boo, depending on if they like them or not. 
But he enters into the room, and it's this kind of grand moment each and every year in January. So what does it look like for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to enter his town? This is Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which its name is a picture of peace. It's a description of peace. I think of different towns. Atlanta, one of the nicknames that I appreciate is Hotlanta. It's hot here. Uh, in Charlotte, where I grew up, it's the Queen City, Queen Charlotte. And also another nickname is the Hornet's Nest, the Charlotte Hornets. You ever wondered why they're, they're a, a little bee is their mascot? Well, it was because uh, Cornwallis and his, and his great army as the, the Revolutionary War is happening and all the things, and, and the King of England and Cornwallis is entering in, and he talked about how Charlotte was like a hornet's nest of, of rebellion. And so there's army fled from the rebellion there, and so that became the nickname in Charlotte, the Hornet's Nest. Think of Sin City. Uh, we think of the Steel City in Pittsburgh. Think of Philadelphia. Still not sure why we call it the city of brotherly love. If you've been to any of their sporting events or watched any of their sporting teams, there's no love in them. Uh, they hate their team and they hate the opponents, it seems, every year. We think of all these things, but here's Jerusalem. This is the city of David, the, the high king of Israel, but that was always pointing to a greater king. And Jesus, we've been looking this, and so at this time of year, we're kind of fast-forwarding in our study of Mark. We're not going to be in Mark this morning. We're going to be in Luke uh, chapter 19. So if you have a, a Bible, I want you to turn with me to Mark, uh, or, or sorry, Luke chapter 19. So Luke chapter 19. How does this king enter this Passion Week. I know we know this of Palm Sunday. This is a, a term that we use because of the laying down of palms and the laying down of their cloaks as Jesus enters. And we're going to look at this just little story, this little picture. But even if you think about where we are by just open up our Bibles to Luke, if you look at Luke, it's Luke 19 is where we're going to be this morning looking at the story. All four Gospels tell of this story from a a little bit different perspectives. Most are very, very similar. There's a few differences. But even if you think about this, we're getting to the last week of Jesus' life. And we're only in chapter 19. There's going to be several chapters. Mark is going to begin there. John's going to tell the story. There's going to be a lot, a lot happens in our Bibles in this short last week of Jesus' life. And I think there's a lot for us to learn from, from this passage this morning. And the first thing I want you to notice is that the unexpected entrance of this king. The unexpected entrance. Look at this. Look at this chapter 19, verse, starting in verse 28. I want us to read this story together. It's the triumphal entry. It might have that as a description over this setting in your Bible. Verse 28, it says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem, when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. Verse 32, so those who were sent away sent, uh, went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? Can you imagine? <laughs> I just think that's so funny. 
Like here they are, these two guys go up to someone else's colt and they grab the colt and the owner's like, what are you doing? I'm taking my colt. <laughs> like, it'd be like someone coming up to your house and being like, I need your car. <laughs> and they just, you're like, why do you need my car? I don't know why you want my car. Why do you need my car? And so and they say, they do exactly what Jesus told them to do. So they're being sent away. The, and they said, the Lord has need of it. In verse 35, and they brought it to Jesus. I'm assuming that the, the person who owned this colt is like, okay, sure, <laughs> take it. Take the, take the donkey with you. Sure, why not? The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they, sat, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the, on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. I just want to stop there just for a second. I want you to just marvel at this scene. It is interesting that so much is spent on this description of this donkey and the entrance of it. I mean, really, we're already over, we're almost finished with this story of him entering in, and we've spent a ton of time talking about a donkey being untied and, and being brought to Jesus because God, Jesus has need of it, and that he's going to ride on this donkey. It is really interesting, but I think it shows us something that we can understand about who Jesus is and how the people were missing it. They were continuously looking for Jesus to be this great Messiah, this one who has come to overthrow them and to free them from captivity. They are under the, 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 the Roman thumb, the thumb of Rome. They are under their authority and their rule, and they want freedom. They're wanting and longing for a Messiah to come, and they finally think they found him in Jesus this Jesus of Nazareth, this rabbi, this teacher, and they have given their lives, these disciples and followers of Jesus, they've followed him, they've listened to him, they've seen him. In this story, these are on the heels of Jesus healing, uh, and not just healing, he raises from the dead. We think of Lazarus that was risen from the dead. We think of Jairus' daughter who was healed. We think of the different ones and all these great things that Jesus had accomplished, and they are amazed by it. And so here Jesus comes, and they're probably, you would think at first in your head, you're like, why are you on a donkey again? Why aren't you on your steed? Like, why aren't you on your war horse? This, come to destroy, come to rule and reign. Let's kick this Herod out of the way. Let's move, remove the Caesars. Let's get back to us being free, that we can worship God and worship Him freely and not under this Roman rule and under this Roman tax. But yet, here comes Jesus this, in another unexpected way. Jesus comes, and as he enters in, it really is a fulfillment of prophecy. There's so much that we can learn from this passage, but it's a, a fulfillment of prophecy from Zechariah, Zechariah 9, chapter 9, verse 9, where it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. That's a reference to Jerusalem, if you're unaware. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here comes Jesus riding on a donkey. Again, the unexpected, here comes Jesus. He's entering Jerusalem. You know, 80,000 people would probably be around this time call this their home. They lived in Jerusalem. 
The temple is there, the temple worship. They would come annually for various feasts to worship God and to offer their sacrifices. And they would come to Jerusalem. Well, this is Passover week. This is the week of Passover. And so probably about 200,000 people are now inside the city. Many have probably heard of Jesus of Nazareth, and they're wondering, man, we have heard many miracles, the things that he's done, the things that we have seen. And so sure, we want to see this Jesus. He's probably going to be there. And so now they're all looking and waiting, and here he comes. (laughs) Not coming into theme music, not coming with a fancy robe and attire and a light show. No, he's coming on a donkey. And I think that teaches us so much about who Jesus is and Ultimately, what they were missing about Jesus. They thought they knew who this Jesus was, but they still weren't fully understanding who he was. You see, a true king would enter Jerusalem on a donkey, as Zechariah 9 9 tells us. You see, kings would enter on their war horses after conquest. And so it would be normal, though. So, like, I think for us, it's like, why would someone ever ride on a donkey, like, realistically? But even we see this in the kings of Israel, they would ride on donkeys. They would come in time of peace. And so here comes Jesus. And, but again, everyone around is looking for a king to rule and reign. And they're like, the Messiah is going to rule. So he should be on a steed. He should be on a war horse coming to, to f- defeat Rome. But yet he's coming with peace. He's coming in this humble, unique way. Why? Well, Jesus is going to tell us this here in a few minutes as we continue looking at this passage. But we see that he comes in this unexpected way. Secondly, we see that there is an appropriate response. Look, I mean, they are, are, whether they're missing who Jesus is fully, they understand the Messiah and they understand of worship and praise to this one. So look again at our passage this morning. So in verse, uh, verse 37, as he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Let me, let me say just real quickly here. Notice what they're rejoicing about. So yes, they are giving an appropriate response to Jesus they're giving him praise. They're, they're laying down palm branches. They're laying down their cloaks. They're signifying kingship. They're signifying worship and adoration. They're actually going to they're gonna say, they're going to quote Psalm 118. They, they say it here in verse 20, 38, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. You see, they're they're giving their alms, they're giving praise to Jesus as he enters in. But I do want to just highlight this, because we're going to save this for as we get to our third and final point, is this, is look, though, why they're giving their praise. The whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for who he is, that he's the Son of God, that he's holy, righteous, Who is Jesus? No, they rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Yes, they're giving an appropriate response, but it's still coming from a misunderstood way. They're giving this appropriate response. They are worshiping Jesus for 
who he is, but they're also paying attention, and many are noticing this. And how would we notice this? Why would we know this, that it's an appropriate response? Yes, because we're going to see, as Jesus says, look at verse 39. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, <laughs> wait, 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 Jesus, rebuke your disciples. Why should they rebuke the disciples? He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Creation is groaning. Uh, Romans 8 tells us this. Romans and Paul and his this wonderful explanation of the gospel, all of Romans. I would say it's a great, the greatest explanation of the gospel that we have written in tongue and language is, is Romans. So if you're ever wanting to know, like, what is the gospel? Read Romans and take your time reading it. He explains the gospel. In, in, in Romans 8, he talks about how creation is groaning. It's, it's longing to praise his name. The heavens declare the glory of the Lord, the psalmist says. The whole earth is proclaiming. And he's saying, if these people don't proclaim me for who I am, the rocks are ready to do it for them, if so. So that means they are giving an appropriate response to this Jesus as he enters into Jerusalem. So it's an appropriate response, yes. But notice, and this is our third and final point, and it's the point that I want to really emphasize for us this morning as we head into this Passion Week, is this. You see, there's the king that we need and we see the tension in these verses here. There's the king we need, but it's, ver- it's kind of contrasted in verses, the king that we want. You see, there's the king that we want, right? There's this king that we desire, that they want. Even these people want Jesus to be a certain kind of king. They want Jesus to be this ruling and reigning king, this one who's going to come and conquer Rome, who's going to free them. He's going to, he's going to, they're oppressed and they want to be set free. They want this kind of king. But Jesus is riding on a donkey, not a steed. He comes humbly. He comes meek and mild. He comes to serve, not to be served. He comes to lay his life down, not to fight for freedom in this way. See, they, their picture of who Jesus was was missing and off. And I think we all kind of recognize that as we're looking and studying the book of Mark even. We can already see it through the first four chapters that we've studied. The people, there's the insiders and the outsiders. There's the people who get Jesus, sort of, and then there's the people who just don't get him at all. There's the parable of the soils that we looked at. There's the, the, the ones who just, when the gospel is proclaimed and they hear the gospel, it completely is just no thank you. Their hearts are hardened to it. And they're like, no. There's others who welcome it and are like, yeah, that's interesting. That's good. And they receive the gospel. They think, yes, that sounds good. But then quickly, trials come in their life, difficulties come, and they, they leave following Jesus. They stop following Jesus. We've seen this with the people who follow Jesus during the gospels. But we see that today. We see it through others who hear this word, they receive it, but their roots aren't digging deep. And so quickly, when whether the trials come or when the deceitfulness of riches, the, the, the things of this world dra- grab and a hold of our hearts and our attention, we pursue those things. And it chokes out the word implanted into us and shared and spread out to us. You see, I think this speaks to the king that we want. You see, we want a king... And a ruler who's not going to demand my surrender, 
He's going to just fight for me. He's going to not just fight for me. He's going to fight for what I want. See, so often we want Jesus to do the things that we want him to do. And so what is it when we're doing that? We're, we're trying to be Lord over Jesus, not submit to his lordship. This is why I think of, when I think of lyrics, I really want you to pay attention as you sing songs. <laughs> I, I, you know, as I was standing there and we were singing the, the song, This I Believe, For I Believe in the Name of Jesus. And there's this one, there's part of the, I mean, the whole song, but there's one part of the song where we say, I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. That is, it flows, I mean, it's lyrically, it flows out of your lips, right? Like, Jesus is Lord <laughs> until he gets in the way of our needs, of my wants. Is he Lord then? Do we really want him to be Lord? Do we want this kind of king? See, there's this king that we need versus the king that we want. And this is what's happening as Jesus is entering Jerusalem. This is why you can go from a one, one week prior, you have people in adoration of Jesus, praising him, glorifying Jesus for his mighty works. They're amazed at him that this same crowd can begin to yell, crucify him, crucify him, give us Barabbas. Give us the criminal, the murderer. Give us, give us him. Set him free. But we want Jesus hung on a cross. We want him crucified. This same crowd, because they think they want a king a certain way. And Jesus, all of a sudden, when they started to realize he was not the king that they thought he was going to be, they said, no, 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 that's not the king we want. Crucify him. And this is what happens to many people that hear the gospel, they're like, yeah, yeah, that's good. Until you start to see how Jesus is changing you and how Jesus wants all of you. He wants complete surrender. And you're like, but, but I want this. I think I've shared this before, but many of you have come, you know, along the journey of since we first began meeting together in a home a year and a half or so ago. But I still can't, I, I, I can't get this, this, this student out of my mind. I, there was one Random student, not someone who had ever attended our youth group. This, I had a random phone call at, my, at, my, at the church office, call for me to meet with this guy. This guy was just very interested. He wanted to know, he wanted to just meet with me and talk about the Bible, talk about the gospel, talk about Jesus. And, and so I'm like, sure. I mean, I'd never heard of him, never met him before. He wasn't connected to anyone in our church, any of our students in our student ministry. He just went to one of the schools in the area. He had been on a trip. So when he came and met with me, I got to hear that he'd been on a trip and he'd been over in Europe and he had just seen all the, the beauty. He had seen all this, this old, the art and the, like seeing these pictures of Jesus and the, and the beautiful sanctuaries of these different um, houses of worship and all these things. And he was just, it moved him. And so it just, it started up in him, something that he'd never heard of. He'd never really studied and, and been a part and grew up in a Christian home to hear about Jesus or any of these things. So he just randomly, I mean, on his own as a 17-year-old guy, calls me and meets with me. And he's sharing these things with me. And he looks at me and I'm sharing with him. I just gave him the gospel. I'm like, this is awesome. God is working in your life that he used even these beautiful architecture and the different paintings to lead you to ask and to reach out to me. And of all people, you just happen to reach out to me who's going to give you the gospel today. And so as he's sitting across from my desk upstairs in the office area, and I'm just sharing with him the, the hope that Christ offers and that he longs to, to save you. He, it, it just listen, repent and believe and put your trust in Jesus. 
And it said he calls you to follow him. And I just still cannot get him out of my mind as he stood there, and he, or he sat in the chair right in front of me across from my desk. He looked me in the eyes, and he was like, yeah, that sounds great. Like, I, th- I-, I think I want to do that. And then he looked at me, and he's like, but, but I still want to do these things with my life. I still want to do these things. I want to, I want to live my life the way I want to live it. Can I, and he looked at me, basically said this, like, can I have both? And I looked at him and I had to be honest. I'm like, like, listen, God will, he may give you those things, but he's going to want you to surrender those things. Like I had to do when I was your age, when I loved baseball more than life itself at the time. I loved it more than Jesus and everything else. And that was my desire was to get a, a uh, um, scholarship and play as far as I could, and long as I could. And Jesus got a hold of my heart, transformed my heart, and it became not the primary thing. It became secondary to following Jesus. And as I shared that story with him, he looked at me in the eye and says, I just don't know if I can do that. I pleaded with him, and eventually we, we parted ways and I never spoke to him again. You see, there's this king that we want is the king that says, you get what you want too. Have whatever you want. The king who's going to be let you be a king too. Like, let me rule and reign with you. Yes, we, in, one, in one sense, we get that with Jesus one day, that we rule and reign with him, that we're co-heirs with Christ Jesus, the Lord. We are, we are in, we're, uh, adopted into his family. But I want you to hear this. This is there's this, there's this tension that is in Scripture. We see it with the Jews. We see it with current day today, that there's the king that we want versus the king that we need. And many, 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 many people want Jesus and you can fill in the blank for yourself. I want to follow Jesus, but also have this, have a Great family, which is, I mean, it's a great thing. I, I, I want a great family. I, I hope I have one. You know, like, I, I want these things. Yes, absolutely. Do you want to have a good career? Sure. Can you, have, can you have a good career and follow Jesus? Yes. But what comes supreme is Jesus. And if he says, I want you to do this with your life, then you're going to say, yes, Lord, tell me where to go. You're going to be like this man who has a donkey. And when Jesus says the Lord needs it, you're going to be like, sure, it's yours. But what do we do with our resources? What do we do with our finances? We say me first so often. What my needs are, what my wants are, what do we do with our time? I get the primary time, not you, God. You're the afterthought. You come second, not first. See, this is the king that we want, but Jesus comes in an unexpected way, comes humbly, and they're like, wait a minute. They're, yes, this is good. This is, and they might have even remembered Zechariah 9, verse 9 and 10. They were sort of getting it, but then yet when he didn't meet their expectations, they were like, no longer do we need you. Just crucify him. That's what happens this week. This is what we reflect on during Passion because Jesus comes, and I want you to see this. We're going to see this just in these next few verses. Look at verse 41 just briefly here. And when he drew near and saw the city. Quick trivia. How many times do we see Jesus cry in the Gospels? One is over Lazarus' death. 
He, Jesus wept. The shortest, another trivia question. Shortest verse in all the Bible. Jesus wept. Second time we see Jesus weeping. And not just, this is like wailing. Like, can you imagine? Here's Jesus of Nazareth. He's, he's looking at this. He walks into Jerusalem. He's riding on this donkey. The people are proclaiming him. And then here, moments later, day later, which I think the day later specifically is the cleansing of the temple. But here in these moments, he's entering Jerusalem, and he looks around, he draws near and saw the city, and he weeps over it, saying this. Listen to these words. Would that, you're going to see what I mean by this king we need versus the king we want. Here it is, verse 42, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. He's like, they're not getting it. He looks and he weeps. He's weeping. You know why he's weeping? And I want you to hear this. I think this is important. I think sometimes we think Jesus can be distant and that he's just this judge that we're going to see in the, we don't need to see it today, but Jesus cleanses the temple as he goes in and he clears out the temple because they were using it as like become a monopoly. Here the people, the poor and the different people are coming to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices. And now the people have set up shop right inside the Gentile courts. The areas where the outsiders, the Gentiles, could hear about this God and believe in him. Even though they're not Jews, they could hear about him. But that had become a place of, of, of money and, 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 and transactions happening. And people taking advantage of the poor and selling to them and using it to, to make money money. Instead of people getting to hear the gospel, the Gentiles, the outsiders at this time, rather hear that it was a place of money exchanging and basically become a monopoly on the business where they could charge whatever they wanted and take advantage. Jesus cleansed it out. He brings judgment. But first, I want you to see, in, these, in this passage, in these two verses, he's weeping. And why is he weeping? He's weeping at their unbelief. I, I just, I want you to hear that. Jesus isn't distant, and he doesn't just look at you like, man, with frustration. No, he, he sees unbelief, and he weeps over it. Jerusalem is missing it. His own people, the people of God, even these disciples are missing the real king and the reason why he's come. And they don't see it, and they don't believe, and he looks and sees their unbelief, and he weeps saying that he doesn't know, they, they don't know. He says, what would would that you, even you, talking about Jerusalem, the people of God, had known on this day the things that make for peace. See, they thought peace was going to come through a ruling, conquering king. But it was going to come through a suffering servant that we see in Isaiah 53. Jesus is going to come, and he's going to come, and he's going to be the suffering servant. He's going to come to lay his life down. You see, the king that we need isn't this conquering king here. We need the suffering servant. This is the king that we need. And Jesus comes knowing full well what's going to make peace between God and man is through his own death, burial, and resurrection. That he's going to conquer death through death. I know that doesn't make sense. You're like, how does conquering death through your own death, gonna, how is that going to defeat death? This is the point of Easter, that he's going to defeat death by rising on the third day to new life, to resurrected life, a glorified body. You see, this is the king that we need. 
See, Paul explained it well in Ephesians 2, verse 14. He said, he himself, Jesus, is our peace. See, how do we have peace with God? It comes through him laying down his life for us. And here he comes, riding on the colt of a donkey, the foal, this new donkey that's never been written before. And here Jesus comes humbly and people are laying down their cloaks. They're laying down palm branches in respect and honor to Jesus. He comes in this unexpected way. They come with an appropriate response because he deserves their worship as when the Pharisees tried to rebuke his disciples, he answered and tells them, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out because there's an understanding of Jesus and who he is. But here's what I don't want us to miss this Easter season is we need to see that the king that we need is this Jesus, the one who comes humbly, the one who comes to lay his life down, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, this was the pronouncement of John the Baptist. He looks out, he sees Jesus coming, Jesus coming to be baptized, to begin his public ministry. He says, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus was born, Joseph was given in his dream what to name Jesus, and he was told why to name him Jesus. For why? For he will save his people from their sins. That's what his name means, Yeshua. The Lord saves. Yahweh saves. You see, this is who he is. He comes, but they thought he was going to come as a savior to rule and reign. That is coming. He's going to come on a war horse. He's going to come on a war horse as he comes to defeat Satan finally and fully, to cast him into the lake of fire and all those who oppose him. His righteous rule will reign for all of eternity. His words are true. His future is already set. Our future is already set. He is going to come in this way, but in this moment, in this time, he comes in his first coming. He comes humbly. He comes mild because he comes on a mission, and that mission is to lay his life down willingly so that he could defeat Satan, and to make us right with God. I think sometimes we miss, I want to just end with these words. I just want you to think about this for a second. I think sometimes maybe we get a little confused with the gospel. I'm not, I'm not sure. I want to just really explain the gospel simply for you. I think it helped being on a trip with Colson and, and Amanda this week and, and re-kind of explain the gospel even to Colson. And, and as I was, we were doing that on a ride back home, I, I was reflecting on this because I think sometimes we can get a little confused of like, okay, yes, you're telling me Jesus is God, all right? I believe that. Jesus came, okay, he came. He, he lived the life that I should have lived. He died the death that I deserved. So how can he make it, how can, he, how can I have peace? How can I have peace with God? What, can, what, what do I need to do in order to be saved? It's a question that Nicodemus asked the question that the young rich ruler asked Jesus, what must I do to be born again, Nicodemus asked. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to have eternal life, the rich young ruler asked. You see, what must I do? And you might be wondering, what what am I to do? Like, how do I, and how does Jesus, what gives him the ability and the right to actually save me? It's a really, it's it's not as complicated as sometimes we make it to be. You see, sin has to be punished. You see, we have sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We have opposed Him. 
We don't do what's right. We oftentimes do the opposite. If we really, really started paying attention to our thoughts and our motives and our actions, we would start to see how sinful we really are and how much we need God's grace, His free gift of forgiveness. But how can God forgive us? What kind of king do we need? How does Jesus, I mean, think about that for a second. How can Jesus forgive you? You might answer, well, he's God, so he can just forgive. Partial answer, still not the right answer. Like, how can Jesus forgive you? How can Jesus forgive me? How can he? What gives him the ability and the right to do that? It's very simply, he comes. The king that we needed was the king who was going to come and pay the price for our sin. You see, if you've sinned, you deserve punishment. I deserve punishment. Now, we get hung up on, well, I'm not that bad of a person, so why is the punishment so severe? Why is it, per- like, why is if I only lied once in my whole life and never did anything ever, ever wrong again, that I still would endure eternal punishment paying for that penalty, that one lie? You can get hung up on that, and I think that just helps us see how, how good we think we are in comparison to God. But if we started to view who God was and who He really is, we would see that that gap is infinite the difference between us and God. And so that even just one offense against this holy God is treason against the holy God, deserving of eternal punishment. But here's the point. Jesus came. He came in an unexpected way. He came to fulfill prophecy, but He came to make it right with us. He came to, to, to fulfill and to fix the curse that happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God and sin entered into our world and all of us have come into a world full of sin and we are sinful people. And here Jesus comes. He comes in an unexpected way. He comes holy. He comes humbly. He lives perfectly. He never sins once. He's the spotless lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And here's how he takes away your sin. Here's how he takes away my sin. He gets nailed to a cross. He is punished instead of you. Feel the weight of that this week, that He took your place, that He took my place, that instead of me on the cross, He is on the cross. Instead of me being crushed by the weight of my sin and doomed to an eternity of separated from a holy God in a place of Awful, the Bible describes it as um, a, a place of gnashing of teeth, of an eternal fire, of being burned but never being consumed. This complete separation from a holy God, this eternal punishment, instead of that being your end that lasts for eternity, Jesus comes and he's the king that you need. And he, this king gets nailed to a cross so much so that they ride on it, mocking him, king of the Jews. Here's your king, everyone, dead. That's exactly what we needed. We'll talk about this on Friday. Why, my kids have been asking me this, why is it good Friday? Why isn't it just bad Friday? Dead. We'll talk about that this Friday at 7. I hope you'll join us this this Friday for that, and then obviously for Easter um, this, this Sunday. There's some invite cards. Austin mentioned this at the end as well. I'd encourage you to be sharing on social media and all over. People that you meet, family, friends, co-workers, so they can hear this.
gospel, this good news that needs to happen. The king that we want oftentimes is not the same as the king that we need. And I want us to see that as we head into this week and reflect on that this week. So let me, let me pray as uh, we end our service today and sing about the Lamb of God who takes our place, who dies the death that we deserved. Father, we in heaven, we thank you. Thank you and praise you for who you are. Your grace, your goodness, your mercy, your loving kindness. The example that you set for us of humility. That we're not to live for ourselves. We're to live for another king. Father, forgive us of when we make ourselves the the God of our lives, the king of our lives, where we live for self, we live for pleasure, we live for comfort, we live for all kinds of things and not one thought or care of what you think and your lordship in our lives. So Father, help us this week to really draw near to you. May you use this, this season, this week in our lives as we're spending time in your word this week studying and reflecting on the cost of our salvation. That your death was not the end, though. That there is a Friday that's dark Friday. The darkest hour in history, the death of Jesus on a cross, was our greatest victory. Because in that moment, you took our place. The punishment that we deserved was placed on you. By your stripes, we're healed, Isaiah the prophet says. So thank you so much for Jesus and sending him in such an unexpected way. Father, may this season be a time of reflection on our lives, how we live our life. And God, give us a boldness to live for you and for your glory, not for ourselves. Help us to to listen to your word and to reflect on it and to submit to it. So Father, be glorified and lifted high this, this week and in every day and every moment of our lives. And Father, as we think and we sing this song together as we proclaim these truths. God, may that move, may it move in our hearts a great love for you. That the King of kings and the Lord of lords would lay his life down willingly for me. Why? You took the nails. You bore our shame. This man of sorrows acquainted with our grief. You know our hurts. You know our struggles. You know our need. And so I thank you that you came and met our need even when we didn't understand it and didn't even see it. So thank you, God. We love you. Help that to be true. Help us to live with a genuine, real love for you and for your word. Thank you for these things and we ask your help in all these things. In Jesus' name.